0: And then we are going to get a lot of hate now.
1: But cool, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> that was the subtext of this episode, is just make the internet real mad.
0: Yeah, yeah. We just wanted to give everybody good value on programming languages. And then we should...
1: Hey, everybody. Back to the podcast. Two favorite co-hosts here. It's me, Nathan, and him, Gian. How's it going, Gian?
0: It's going great. How are you? Oh,
1: I'm doing pretty well. I've got my week off this week, so uh, it's been relaxing and just a good time. I recommend it, honestly. Uh, I used to just do larger vacations, but this whole taking a week off after another month of working, is just like work, or take a week off, work, take a week off, it's been great. Uh, so 10 out of 10, would recommend taking time off. Hmm. Even if so you can't do, travel.
0: <laughs> do all employers out there, Nathan recommends a three work week month. Um, That's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like uh, interval training. Uh, you just work for three weeks, take a week off every month. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, c- I could get behind that. Is that including the weekends or are we pushing people to the
1: limits? Uh, it's too much detail, uh, honestly. Okay. I think it needs All to right. depend on the team. Because, I mean, there are actually jobs that I think do something like that, right? They do like 12 days on and then like, yes. five or six days off, something like that.
0: Probably. Uh, I know there's ones that do like 10-hour workdays, and then you get Friday off. Right. Yeah. But we could do extreme. Maybe Fortune 500 CEOs are listening to this, you know?
1: They definitely are. At least three of them.
0: At least three of them. Okay. Yeah. Thanks
1: for subscribing, Jeff. Appreciate it. (laughs) Anyway, what are we talking about
0: today? Anyways, uh, today uh, I thought we could talk about our language journey. Uh, I think that would be a good valuable insight not to just our experience but about different languages and their quirks and things that we learned or, and liked or disliked about our experience with these and see what value we could provide to people. Maybe somebody's starting out and they would benefit from learning all these different quirks.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious because I'm sure there's stuff that I don't know about your language history. Uh, so I'm curious about that. and. I originally thought this wasn't gonna take very long, and then I made some notes and realized I actually have changed not only my opinions, but my languages a lot more than I thought I did. I was like, oh, I've used like two languages, and then I wrote it out. I was like, oh, when did I use all these? I forgot. So it's gonna be fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. For anybody listening, for context, Nathan and I have known each other for a solid about three years now. (laughs) And... (laughs) And somehow we don't know a lot about each one of our beginnings. We just ended up bonding with our present circumstances and continued the friendship from there. So yep. this, will be, this will be more educational for the both of us as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Total surprise.
0: <laughs> so why don't you start us off by your Sure.
1: Journey? Sure, sure, sure. So I have some notes. Uh, let me go back to, this one's going to be quick. I, first thing I did was super basic HTML when I was like 10. Because uh, I was part of this um, nonprofit Taekwondo club and they needed a website, and any website, even if made by a 10 year old, was still better than no website. So it was, I still remember it in my head. It basically looked like a Word document, except uh, I learned how to use scrolling text. So I added wow. that in. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was just a scroll tag at the time and threw that in, and I was real hyped. And then took a long time off from really doing anything, other than when I was somewhere in my teens, I realized that I could use Bash and cron jobs to automatically empty my trash can on my MacBook. Damn. And I got so hyped about that. I was just like, I had no idea I could do stuff like this. This is great. So that got me excited. And then I was at that time I was just using JavaScript for things like. Uh, if you were associating buttons with things you wanted to show. So you know carousels were a thing at one time. And so if you wanted to show you know photo one or whatever and have a button for it and then an image associated with it that would pop up, I was doing that sort of thing and that was about the extent of my JavaScripting. But it was still a lot more fun than CSS. So I really enjoyed spending my time with as much writing logic as I could. And I would end up with these they weren't even really websites. They were just like a web page with a bunch of interactable components. And I had no idea what to do with them because I didn't have, I wasn't doing work. I was just sort of putting together HTML pages with clickable elements and being like, oh, cool stuff. Uh, And that was the extent of it until Node.js really. Mm -hmm. And that was when everything exploded and all my opinions started becoming much stronger. So what was your early days before I go beyond that. Uh,
0: Before I touch on that, uh, I I would like to give a little kudos on how how easy you were describing, like, just, oh, you know, carousels, this and that. This is legit, like, I don't know, not even four years ago, I was trying to build a carousel thing on a website, and this was first-year computer science degree with experience with background in programming, Mm -hmm. and I had such a hard time I ended up going to a different SaaS product to include their iframe just so I could have a working carousel. So I got <laughs> so frustrated with it. So don't don't brush it off. Sure, those are, those are sure. No, problems. I do I
1: do remember vaguely thinking of like, oh, if I do a data dash attribute on this, then I can say for each this number uh, of uh, elements, then I can say this image is called like data dash image one, and this uh, button is called button one, and if I just iterate through them then i can populate them all with click element or uh, on click handlers and if they click on yeah. them then it'll do the thing they were probably horribly ugly i don't remember really what they looked <laughs> like but they did what they were supposed to do which to this day is largely how my approach to front end tends to be
0: uh, yeah is that club still using the 10 uh, year old nathan taekwondo
1: no 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 <laughs> i made i made a number of different sites for them unfortunately i don't have to deal with that at this point they've Brought someone who's local uh, to manage it, <laughs> so that I don't have to upkeep their uh, things like changing their schedule and pricing. It's it's just mm. somebody else can do it. They're probably on WordPress now. Uh, uh, I just assume.
0: <laughs> I just need to go on via back machine and find it, find that or OG site.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I'll I'll jump. Um. So my, a lot a lot different experience. My actual first. Um, experience with programming language was C plus uh, plus, Okay. yeah, nothing visual straight up thrown into this, uh, files, we didn't even have IDEs, So I was writing mm. in a notepad or text file and then compile and run it every time. Um, and it was,
1: <laughs> I was writing a Vim troll you already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't even know what Vim was until college, man. Um, Because CLI was not a thing we were shown. All of this was happening on Windows machines. Because one of the great things you have to remember is the teachers who are teaching us these things have also only followed a certain path that they've learned. Mm -hmm. And Linux wasn't very big when they were educated. Uh, So they were teaching us on Windows to do these things. And another beautiful thing about C++ was it's not, you have to build it for each platform you're running it on. So we were very Windows locked in, there was nothing like Wim, uh, it was Notepad. There was, I think we had something called Turbo C++ uh, as a runtime and uh, editor. And it was ugly as hell. It was just, it didn't even have syntax highlighting or anything. It was just black and white text and that's it. Um, but yeah, that was my first experience to C++. Um, I have said this many times before and I am still extremely grateful for it. Computer Computing comes a little bit naturally to me, so C++ wasn't extremely daunting. And when you're sort of already good at something, that helps build up the confidence to get you to better at it, right? That amazing cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was easy enough to pick it up. Uh, I had the hardest and still do the toughest time with recursion. Uh, <laughs> you know all about it. People will hear about it on upcoming podcasts. <laughs> um and loops loops made a lot of sense to me Um uh, language syntax was great uh i remember the first thing i built using c plus was sort of this library bank system of sorts it was it, it was basically you can you can store whatever you, you can create multiple accounts uh which are prefed using a text file because uh, that was how I knew how to do it. And you can edit this text file, and then you can go update um, any amount you had, withdraw money from this bank and st- such. And all I did was just update a um, text file over and over. That was my database, most efficient, lightweight, cleanest database, no encryption uh, <laughs> that I've ever used. <laughs> Not even file system, it was a file, which was .txt, which is great um just new new line delimiter Uh, yeah so that was that was my introduction and then um right at at the near of our high schooling i was introduced to java a little bit but it didn't make any sense to me and i didn't actually end up learning and or liking java until i went to college Uh, but object orientation that was it just everything just made so much sense that, that was that was the building blocks that's what pushed me into okay, building computers are cool, but it doesn't pay off, and software is good, uh, so that's when I moved into software.
1: okay, so explain this to me then. you said it was c plus plus right yes yeah c plus plus made sense to you except for recursion, yes. and yes, Java didn't, so what was not making sense in that time
0: um so the the I think at the at the time, uh, one of the things that I had a harder time was, uh, Java is very class based. Everything has to be classes, and I know if I'm preaching object oriented that it made sense to me. I also should be proficient in classes. Uh, but the beautiful thing C did was it had these structs and loosely data types. And one of the easiest things was, everything could be in the single file. You didn't need multiple classes or multiple files. You don't have to worry about main uh, as much. And that was the easiest thing for me because I could define everything in this one file. And to be honest, when I first started, I didn't believe much in functions either. So it would be like this one block with everything that's doing. Nice. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes with decent code repetitions uh, of oh, if a user selects this now, it's again to write, and I could have made those functions, uh, but there was some loose usage of to because C++ had that. Consider it so harmful, just yeah. Go up there, do this, do that, and I thought I was being clever. Uh, I'm sure if I look at that code now, somehow if I can find it, I'd be heavily, heavily disappointed, and yeah, I hope, probably wouldn't understand.
1: I hope so. I mean, if you're not getting, <laughs> if you're, If you haven't made enough progress to look back over that many years and go, what was I thinking? Then (laughs) you should probably, I don't know, do some, do something else. Or you were a prodigy.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, wisdom nugget for all you listeners out there. If you don't look back at your code and sigh, um, you, you haven't progressed as a developer, hashtag Nathan Calvin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, honestly, even just over a number of months, sometimes I'll look back as I get more familiar Mm -hmm. with the code base and realize what was I thinking? How did I not see that this was a horrible way to do this? So I I resonate with that. Uh, And what would you say is like. What effect did that have as far as starting there? Do you think people should do that as far as making it actionable for people? Should should they consider starting that way, or should they start a different way in twenty twenty?
0: Uh, it's a great question. Um, I started that way because that was part of our curriculum. I could not have moved in any other direction. This was not, you know, the my my preference. It was mm-hmm. school system said learn this and that's what you had to do. Um, although, uh, if you are thinking of I don't know, being, going into game development or really just prefer, you just really want to understand the intricacies and base of object-oriented languages and things that you touch are a little bit more lower level and you don't want to touch C because C. Um, I, I would still say it's a great language. Uh, honestly, every single thing that I've done after that, as far as it was classes or object-oriented, my concepts have have always been extremely clear because I've suffered a lot with C++, um, even though Java now, I would say if you're trying to really get into the object oriented Java, still a really good first language uh, to go through. Uh, but if you are thinking of game dev, um, I, I would say C++ is still a great starter language. Cool. Yeah. What would, well, how about you? For front end, would you recommend they do HTML, CSS, or even vanilla JavaScript, or jump straight at Node and starting there. I'll go
1: with what I think is most important, which is experiment with a few different things if you don't have any idea at all, and see if something is particularly rewarding to you. So a lot of people get really drawn in with HTML, CSS, JavaScript, because they can make something and they can see it, and a lot of people like being able to pull up a file they just made in their browser, click a button, and a counter goes up. And that just, they can understand that because it's something that didn't exist half an hour before that, and now it does. And they can show their friends, they're like, look, I make a thing, and it does this thing. And if that's your gateway in, then go for it. And I would say, no matter whether you want to become something like a game developer or not I think that's one of the most accessible entry points Mm -hmm. into software development so I think there's a benefit to that and honestly in general I think there are some drawbacks to starting with javascript as a language but if you are not very resilient to early (laughs) frustration JavaScript's yeah. a good language because it will let you get away with all sorts of things. And if you struggle initially to understand types, for example, and you jump to a language that's strongly typed and you can't get anything to run, I could very easily see someone getting discouraged and quitting after a couple of hours yeah. versus JavaScript, you open a REPL, you can add whatever you want to whatever you want and it'll give you something. <laughs> and yeah oftentimes I think that will make people feel less pain initially when they're first getting started and the fact that it's so flexible as a language so that will be something we get to later in this conversation as I talk about opinions on languages but you can essentially learn the basics of various paradigms in JavaScript about having to switch languages which can be good especially if you're going the self-taught or boot camp route because It, you can do a full stack app, even though it shouldn't be called a full stack app and you probably <laughs> yes. shouldn't be using JavaScript on the server, but you can do that and it can help you get your foot in the door for jobs that will give you real experience. So yeah. I think those are some of the key benefits. If you're not starting the way that you did through school, then JavaScript's probably a really good way in right now because it's the shortest path to a job.
0: Yeah. Okay. Unless you're doing so mobile you development, do... which
1: I can't say anything about because I have yes. no idea.
0: Yeah. Uh, so if you're into delayed, uh, not gratification, delayed frustration in uh, yeah. JavaScript. <laughs> That's right.
1: Yeah. You won't know that your app is going to explode when somebody does something until two months later when it explodes because undefined is not a function. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> but you won't have an index out of range error as we were talking about beforehand because it'll just say undefined, which yeah. will not be a function yeah. and it will be a problem. <laughs> so, I'll go back to what I was doing at that time. So I had discovered that I could do a lot of automation with Node, and so I started moving out of scripting and that sort of thing with Bash and just realizing, oh, I can modify local files, I can write to them, I can read from them, and just messing with JavaScript in that respect, which for some reason, even though I barely used it, was enough to make me go, oh, I can kind of use this as a general purpose language. And that made me look at it a bit differently. And so at that point, I, I don't remember how long I spent just messing with Node, but I think here, here's what I, if I'm remembering correctly, I was learning front end frameworks and I couldn't figure out which one I should learn. And I was very confused about which one to learn. And I was trying to learn all of them as a result, <laughs> making poor decisions. Just pick one and it should probably be React. Uh, but. Pick one, stick to it. But I wasn't doing that, but I had this intuition that as long as I understood the language really well, it wouldn't matter which framework I wound up on unless it's Angular, because I think that was kind of doing its own thing. (laughs) But in general, JavaScript frameworks, if you understand JavaScript really well, you know what they're doing. And so I spent a lot of time just in the node repl or writing JavaScript files that their sole purpose was to run and just play with. What happens if I do this to the prototype chain? What happens if I, you know, compose this function with this function and messing with the principles of the language as a language. And I spent a lot of time doing that to the point where I kind of got stuck as the JavaScript guy for a few years and I'm still trying to get out of that, but that was a good, I know, I'm never going to. Uh, but that was a really good experience for me as far as preparing myself, not only for the jobs I wound up getting, which always needed JavaScript in some respect, um, and allowed help with debugging things that other people were just like, JavaScript's dumb, why is not this work? I'm like, actually, it gets dumb, but this is why it works this way. And explaining the problem, which allows you to fix it. Uh, yeah. But I spent about a year around that time Uh, Before moving out here, so I guess that would be like five years ago now, I spent a year with uh, learning Haskell, and I worked through Learn You a Haskell for Great Good, and the way I learned it was, or the way I went through the book, was I wrote everything in Haskell, and then I tried to replicate it in JavaScript, and Mm -hmm. you can't always do a one-to-one, because you can't really uh, replicate something like a type class, which I think it's. It's been a minute since I looked at Haskell, but I think that's what they're called. And in general though, it gave me a good mental model for what these paradigms and uh, principles actually meant, as opposed to just, this is what it looks like in Haskell, which I think might have limited my understanding of it a little bit. If I knew that this is how you use a functor in Haskell and not mapped it over to a JavaScript array of an unintentional pun, but uh, <laughs> to a JavaScript array and been like, oh, okay, an array is just a type of functor. A functor is a general thing. How could I write my own? That taught me a lot about functional programming that I might not have gotten if I would stuck with just one language. And yeah. So that's shaped, shaped a lot of my opinion since then, for sure. Mm. And uh, I don't know if I have anything more to, to <laughs> dive into at this point. I- but yeah,
0: I have, I have two on. follow-up questions yeah. then. Uh, one, what, what caused that learning towards Haskell? So let's say I am a new developer. Yep. I am starting to build websites. Everything looks good and clean. I don't necessarily will look at myself and say, hey, you know what I should do? Go to this functional <laughs> language that very small subset of programmers use yep. uh, and try to communicate between the two. What was the interest, why, why Haskell?
1: So it's it was the same process I've been using for a few years uh, since then, which is search online for different programming paradigms and look for one that I don't currently understand very well. And so I looked at what I was using a lot, which was JavaScript. And it's dynamically typed, highly coercive, weird type system. And allows you to literally do whatever you want to the language versus a purely functional language that's also typed and i went i can basically get two birds stoned at once here let's go learn haskell and in the process i'd also well i'd also seen online that people had said that learning functional programming will help make you a better developer if you aren't familiar with it and that's always my goal is just become a better developer so i went i don't know what these principles are let's go learn more about them and so at that time I would have been using things like map, filter, reduce, but I didn't know necessarily the world around those things. Cause there is quite a big world around those abstractions.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then second question. Um, so one of the, th- this is a strategy a lot of people follow. want to see what your opinion on it is on. Um, Transferring ideas and paradigms between languages, is that a good um, and or effective way that you've seen to help learn different languages?
1: Probably not, okay. in general. I did, it didn't help me learn Haskell at all, that's for sure. I still, okay. I, I would need to reread the entire thing to have any idea how to write Haskell because I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. I haven't written any Haskell since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it did do, was it forced me to make sure I actually understood the concept. And that was my goal. I knew that I wasn't going to be getting a job writing in Haskell. But I thought if I can understand the concept it's trying to explain well enough, then it'll probably change the way I think about problems, which was the main goal. I had an aside about JavaScript that I'm trying to remember now. Oh, I think something that happens when starting with JavaScript and going in the way that I did, that people should probably be aware of if they start with JavaScript, is you end up writing code in a particular way that you wouldn't if you were working with a typed language. So I've really noticed this with spending the last year or so working with TypeScript and not JavaScript. In TypeScript, it's kind of like having active documentation in your code. So you can say, this function is only going to accept this, especially if it's particularly strict setup. Yeah. Then you can say, this function is only going to accept this. And because it'll be run through the TypeScript compiler, it'll bark at you ahead of time. Whereas when you're writing JavaScript, you tend to do, and you know that you don't have that same pseudo certainty, because you still don't yeah. really know in TypeScript. You have to not lie about types or accidentally (laughs) lie, then you end up writing, in particular, I was writing a lot of React apps, in a way where you don't trust anything and it's all very defensive and there's a lot of safety built in, so everything gets revalidated and you're always making sure that you can actually do what you're trying to do, otherwise the app might explode. And moving to TypeScript, that became uh, noticeable for me because I was no longer having to constantly say, is this undefined? Because I would check way up top, is it undefined? And then as it gets passed through all the children, I would know that the type system would bark at me if I had at any point make it possibly undefined. And so not ha- And so that changes the way that you can write code because you can do things that pass your data around a bit more abstractly. Whereas I think that was part of what got me so committed to functional programming paradigms in JavaScript was that when you have these small functions that are very clearly obvious, you know, the data hasn't been lost on the way, and so it's easier and safer to write code like that because you're not sort of sending signals around like in an object oriented way and data possibly changing when you don't expect it to, and then the app crashes. So yeah. that's been something to wrap my head around as far as application development with a semi-typed language uh, like TypeScript. So I think something to be aware of if that's where you're coming from, because it might affect, as it did with me, your opinions on mm-hmm. how you feel about uh, type language entering front-end development.
0: Yeah. So you use lots of anys and question marks all over the place. No, no, that's
1: the opposite <laughs> of what I'm saying. <laughs> I know,
0: that, I know. That loses actually, all
1: of the benefit.
0: <laughs> I actually read this really good uh, article which said, at the beginning of all your files or on a global level, just rename any or like retype it to to do so that you use to do all across your app anytime you're tempted to use any, uh, just so even the linter yells at you and says, dude, fix this.
1: Um, yeah. Like, low-key though, that is it's such a good thing. As I'm developing anything, if I have to if I know I have to do something and I can't reg it at that exact second, it's a to-do or a fix-me. And yeah. I'll continue doing what I was doing after that. And if you were to watch me write a single class in you know my Django code, you'd be like you, you didn't leave this file. You, there was no reason for you to say like, to do, add permissions and then to do, do this. But it makes sure that as I'm going, if somebody sends me a message or when we were in an office, if somebody comes by and I step away and come back, I haven't forgotten to do that thing. So <laughs> I found that to be incredibly useful, especially just as someone who likes having a clear to do list, being able to yep. do just when I push my code up, global search for to do, did I add any of them? No? All right. Cool.
0: Very cool. Uh, yeah, I, I can uh, talk a little bit, give you a little break. Um, so, okay. One of the things I thought would be cool uh, is maybe talk about things that you miss about certain quirks of the language. Like we can, we can always talk crap about what it did do wrong, Uh, and you can do that with every single language because that's what programmers do. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like uh, thinking of of things that you missed or like uh, is, so in C++, even though it was a pain, and I very much would not want to do that on an enterprise level app if I was building one, uh, but the thing I sort of really also miss is memory management. Um, I am a person who loves to tweak and get the efficiency out of things as much as possible. And there was this really cool thing in C++ called destructors. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds. It's the opposite of a constructor. (laughs) And you basically define what you want to do as a cleanup when that gets kicked out of the memory. Um, and it's just such a convenient nice little thing Uh, I also just loved writing the word destructor because just you don't generally get that opportunity Um, and yeah a little bit of memory management C++ was a lot more loose with how you are doing pointer by reference and just pointers in general Uh, you threw them all over the place uh, address allocation whatever you want to do of course that's gonna cause a lot of issues and I think they were easy and cool because I was building apps that you know were basically crud apps without any even network calls or anything they were just text file based. <laughs> uh never even done any like real game development uh, on them but um that was the thing I missed um which I'm sure if I, every day I had to write a destructor and like worry about how I'm gonna efficiently optimize my memory uh, I'd probably be a lot more mad um yeah thought thought I'd throw that in as a Paying off, I miss you, but I don't really want you. Mm Kind of like a kind of like an
1: interesting ex. I (laughs) guess I don't know. Yeah, saw that coming. I I appreciate that you've gone gradually up uh, in abstraction, and right now (laughs) I've been going back down. Oh no! So I started from you know very high level scripting languages. That's still all I really use in work uh, because I don't have a reason to use anything lower level. I guess the quote-unquote lowest level you could consider is occasionally I touch some Go code and that's about it. But I have this constant fascination with trying to actually learn more about progressively lower level languages. So it's something I've been doing a bit of this week and because I have my time off. <laughs> But I'm trying you, to, have,
0: you have free time, so You're gonna program as opposed to what you would have done if you were working. Yeah. Well, I mean, yesterday,
1: yesterday, yeah. I or Sunday, recently, I wrote. Time is a uh, myth. It's okay. Yeah, it, it's all okay. uh, it's all makeup. I I did some writing about programming, so it was even, even. Wow. Yeah, you just can't escape. But <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything I miss about JavaScript that I don't or currently I can do. Even... Yeah. I
0: can even frame it differently. Like, what are the stellar differences you noticed when you were switching between languages that you actually use nowadays? Like, between even JavaScript and Python. We all know they're very different, different use cases. But as far as certain functionalities or um, sure. this I don't know, is actually any language quirks,
1: this is actually easy for me now that you phrase it that way. Because <laughs> everybody's going to hate this. But <laughs> I actually really like the JavaScript asynchronous model. And I think it's because it was one that I quickly became intimately familiar with and having given multiple presentations on it, I feel quite comfortable with it. And I think that it, unfortunately they didn't follow the A plus promise spec, but having promises in the language has made life a lot better. And I think they were the right Abstraction, perhaps not perfectly implemented, but they're kind of like promises in a JavaScript way. They're like, well, we'll make it a little easier for people. And it's like <laughs> you didn't need to, but okay. So switching between languages, for example, the next one I used that was on my list was uh, maintaining a Ruby on Rails API. And having asynchronous code that blocked by default was so unexpected to me because I spent all of my time pretty much writing JavaScript. And so I was used to, as soon as you throw it on, uh, like out of the thread and just wait for something to come back, it's continuing to do everything else. So the fact that I had to write these processes that were syncing a bunch of our data with external services, I had to keep in mind, oh yeah, it's going to stop everything that's happening at this line and wait for it to get to the next line. Whereas my thinking at the time was, oh, this must be something like a promise where this will continue when it resolves, but it doesn't do that. So that was a big thing uh, that I still am totally okay with managing the various versions of JavaScript's asynchronous model, and I would prefer it. But now that I've talked a little bit about Ruby, I will say my thoughts on Ruby when I was using it, I was still uh, sorry
0: uh, very quick. Yeah. At what point in the timeline does Ruby arrive on your language learning?
1: It was right after I did my year of Haskell. Okay. So it was my first year out on the West Coast. Cool. Yeah. So I was maintaining a Ruby on Rails app there and it was a it's a language I would say that tries to be a bit too cute and really is okay with giving you See, JavaScript gets a lot of flack because you can do things a lot of different ways, but Ruby doesn't just do things different ways, it gives you as many ways as you could possibly want to do something, at least in my limited use of it, where your if-else control blocks are essentially amount to if this, otherwise this, unless this, and I'm like, G- this, is, this doesn't need to be this poetic. I know Matt says it should look like poetry, but it doesn't need to. Uh, It can just be more like the next language I used a bit, which was Go, where do it one way, we gave you one way to do it, and that's the way you do it, and it should all look the same. I think there's a lot to be learned from a language that has that opinion. So I haven't gone back to Ruby, is my point.
0: Yeah, uh, as as one should. Again, uh, disclaimer, these are very personal, opinionated uh, opinions. I feel very strongly uh, against Ruby as well. I understand the merits. Uh, There is a certain giant e-commerce company in Canada that also is built upon Ruby on Rails. Uh, Good for them. Uh, But (laughs) as a a programmer who did uh, many different languages uh, that were very opinionated and strict, um, yeah, I did not as the kids say straight up, not have a good time, man, when um, I was doing Ruby.
1: <laughs> I didn't hate it at the time, but I wouldn't I go choosing it for any reason. Yes. I can yeah. see it as a totally, reason. if you already know it, and you need to R- or, uh, prototype a CRUD API, I can totally see the benefit of going with Ruby on Rails. It does all the magic for you. I have for coding assessments that you have to take home for interviews. I've done a few in Ruby on rails because they are super quick and I can see that benefit, but yeah, if I was trying to build something that I was going to maintain for a long time and I wanted to enjoy maintaining it and I want to be performance, wouldn't be my way to go.
0: Yeah. I think another reason why I wasn't a huge fan of it was by the time I had reached Ruby, I think I had learned about four or five different programming languages. And they all, even even certain things I'm learning now, they all s- sort of share similar syntax things uh, and keywords mm-hmm. and ways to ingest and or process data. Whereas Ruby just shows up and is just like, again, the thing you mentioned, it's so many things you can do, uh, so many ways you can do one thing. Uh, and there is, when I was working on a code base, I don't know if there's no community standard or if just the developer team was going cowboy coding. It was completely wild, wild code base, and I just, yeah, just straight up not not had a good time. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so for trying to be useful for people, my advice: if you're more interested in coding for backend development, and you want to understand a more transferable programming language, probably just go with Python. And 100%. if you're just, as I mentioned earlier, if you're just trying to get a job and you also want the possibility to do front end work. You can learn some JavaScript and mess with Node a little bit enough that you can say, yeah, you've made some Node servers for personal projects and you'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Python, yeah, that was my third official language uh, programming language that I was learning and it is my go-to to to tell anybody who's trying to get into programming, Um, but I do recommend looking at other any some of these like a little older languages or even like plain vanilla javascript just to strengthen your concepts because once you start once you're done with all the ifs and fors and conditional and everything and you start moving a little bit towards complex apps or intermediate levels of um, software development you will get stumped by how data types and or performance things are working which uh, honestly not not something you learn unless, you, again, you just play with the language at the core level. Um, one of the things I was very caught off guard with when I first started learning and doing loops in Python is indexes aren't given to you by default. You can loop over arrays, you can loop over lists, um, and you'll get the element in them. But if you want the position, you have to enumerate the list and generate those numbers. and I think still to this day that's my least favorite part about python because anytime you're dealing with lists more often than not you're going to need the index you need to know what element and where it is that you're accessing
1: yeah um, the, the pattern yeah. i've seen people use a lot when they need that is for i in range length yeah and then they just if if it's a num's array just like num equals and then the array with that index, and then they just have both values as opposed to enumerate, because I guess if you're doing some code golf, you <laughs> want to remove the long keyword enumerate.
0: True, but yeah. Teach their own. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But I, I guess that's the use case, right? Very specific use cases, that's a benefit. Uh, more often than not, it's a nuisance uh, if you're trying to figure out uh, how, how, you're, how and what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, also, pro tip: no. I would say
1: Python's really good choice for if you're doing coding interviews, because there's yes. very little syntax to write, and you have the ability to. One of the things that really differs from JavaScript, for example, if you're picking a abstract language that's really common to use in those situations, is one, you'll probably get looked down on for using JavaScript, and two. Uh, you have to break things out into arrays. So like you can't iterate over a a string the way you can in Python. So you actually have to go, you split it and then iterate over it, which if you're writing code on a whiteboard, you just don't want to have to do those extra steps. Yes. So Python's really handy. Even if you aren't uh, going to be working in it, I'd say it's worthwhile. If you want to do those types of interviews or companies that tend to do those types of interviews are of interest to you, just get familiar with the syntax of it so that you can do the basic algorithms because it'll probably yeah. work out in your favor.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, even when I'm doing any coding interviews or something, Python is my language of choice, uh, just because you you get to escape so much uh, boilerplate code or things that you don't want to worry about. Yeah, types don't help uh, you on a
1: whiteboard. So
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah. When <laughs> I mean, you're trying to explain a concept and trying to figure it out, uh, but that's where that's again a great. Touch right the When you do things like that in JavaScript or Java, let's say iterating over a string, you understand that each one of those elements, if you divide it up as an array, is now a character and you're all going over characters in a string and that's when you understand the primitive data types more as opposed to where Python is just like, it's, it's a list of things and you're going over the things and you don't have to worry about what the things are, but I'm still a little strict about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's what it does, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess a little segue, uh, opinion and or experience with uh, dynamic versus compiled languages, or I guess, are, are those called runtime languages? Well, there's, an, there's an, the
1: interpreted and compiled.
0: Interpreted, thank you. Interpreted versus compiled, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, now we're in a weird spot where you actually have to quote unquote compile your JavaScript because nobody writes JavaScript for the browser. Yeah. So that, I thought it was
0: called something else.
1: Well, they call it Transpiled, but there's a trans-piled, big argument yes. about yeah. whether that's a thing or not. So I try to avoid that word, uh, okay. just to avoid the the potential wrath of internet people. Yes. And yeah. or, or
0: you already crapped on Ruby on Rails, get ready anyways.
1: Hey, Matt's is nice, so we are nice, that's what I heard, so they better be nice to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it really depends on the problem you're trying to solve. So I do think that I've gotten a lot of benefit from working with TypeScript versus React, or so versus um, JavaScript in React, and somewhat for the reasons I mentioned earlier. But also the fact that you do have to run your code through the TypeScript compiler, and it will yell at you, and you can set it to be very strict if there's a potential for a runtime error that it can spot. So whether or not that is enough to justify completely avoiding a dynamically typed language, I don't know, but at this point, I think I'm okay with the little bit of overhead to put in types on things for the help, especially with IDEs that I get Mm -hmm from having those types in place. It's hard to say though, because I ha- I don't know. We have a little bit of type annotations in our Python at work, and yeah. those don't get used all that much, and I don't find that we use them enough for them to be useful, and so when I see them, they seem odd. Yeah. Would they be helpful? I don't know, we have so many tests because it's a CRUD API. I don't know.
0: That is fair, yeah. I- I'm
1: leaning, I'm like 60% towards compiled with types is useful but it's hard for me to argue without having really understood why Rich Hickey thinks types are not as useful because mm. he seems like a real smart guy and <laughs> I trust him so I need to listen to his arguments on that before I wade in too heavily what about you?
0: Mm. Um, well I again with my background and the way I've done things I am very much a compiled language person I like to learn and understand all the things that i'm about to do wrong before they go wrong Um, i'm sure partially it's some weird control thing partially it's just i don't want to mess up in front of other uh, i don't want to mess up without knowing i'm going to mess up kind of thing i suppose um and just the the performance junkie again uh compile languages we just know they're faster because the computer doesn't have to spend any time translating the code on the fly Um, And yeah, and like a great example is Go. I love that language. Uh, It's extremely strict. It tells you everything you're not doing correctly, including the formatting uh, beforehand. And once it's compiled, it's a little binary and it runs extremely fast. And you don't have to worry about a plethora of files or things that you need to copy over to your production server. The production server is just the executor. You give it something and it runs. Uh, instead of giving it 100 files so I can figure out its own path and worry about compilation and other things that you wouldn't uh, necessarily do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could also see that as, or I ha- as I have experienced, is that can be a barrier to entry. If I am learning how to program, I don't want to hit compile every time and then the compiler tell me what I'm doing wrong, then update my code, then try that again, as opposed to something that just, I can use a little command line interpreter or... Every time I type something, I hit run and it immediately runs
1: or, yeah. Yeah. And I want to make sure, because if we do get listeners that listen to this and comment and (laughs) tell me about my Ruby opinions, I sort of accidentally conflated compiled versus interpreted with typed and untyped. That's just based on my uh, history. It's not actually a thing. Uh, So meaning that languages I've written that happen to be typed also happen to run through a compiler. Uh, Not that those are the same thing. So I don't. Yes. I don't want people to <laughs> to rage about that. Uh,
0: yes. If you are about to rage, uh, anybody, just remember to look at those comments from the lens of somebody who's done a lot of JavaScript. <laughs> that would make that would clear everything up so so quickly. Because <sighs> once you understand JavaScript to a certain extent, um, you understand the problems. Because it's just. It just tries to take everything from all around the language world and you, yeah, you'll see. And I hope some of you listeners, if you already have been through that, can empathize with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you write JavaScript right now and you disagree, <laughs> highly recommend trying other languages or <laughs> learning a lot about JavaScript itself. Figure out how the prototype chain works. Figure out if you can justify why the class keyword exists be my guest. And when you get to the bottom of that, then you might share somewhat of an opinion with what I just said. Uh, what's, my next language was Go, so we've talked about it a bit. What was your, does that fit with what you have at all or do you need to run through some languages first?
0: No, uh, the, I, I only listed the first three because those are the ones I majorly use. It was C++, Java, and Python. Oh, okay. Um, everything else that I do, Groovy or I don't know, little bit of here and there, they're all just different flavors of those big languages. Yeah. So I don't have anything really on the languages, I just have like certain points that I can get to as we have a little bit more natural conversation. I also have SQL in there, because that was something I learned with Python, yeah. and even though it's not a programming language, it's a query language, I, uh, I considered, it's very close to my heart. I <laughs>
1: considered mentioning SQL, but I'm like, no, no.
0: no yeah. It's just very close to my heart, I hope. And I'm pretty sure at one point, we'll probably do some episode on database things.
1: Yeah, I can learn a whole bunch of stuff, (laughs) it'd be great.
0: Yeah, and you can just hear me ramble about SQL and different databases and how much I love and a little bit of hate uh, certain databases.
1: Mm -hmm. So you and I have discussed this in the past, but go with respect to error handling. I feel like we both had some opinions that came from looking at that. Cuz I've spent very little time with Go, and despite that, it actually had a considerable effect on how I was looking yeah. at languages at that time, partly because it was early on in my like full-time development career. But I've taken those things despite spending a number of probably single digit hours actually writing Go and then yeah. probably you know, 40 to 80 reading Go because I was doing code review but not writing it. And just seeing these patterns has affected uh, my thinking about those sorts of things. So if you would, could you weigh in on what you think of the error handling in Go?
0: Yes. Um, So before I get into that, uh, one of the things I would like to highlight before I forget is Go as a language necessarily hasn't affected a lot of about my like the way i write syntaxes or the way i would construct my code or anything but the the practices and patterns that language exhibits have very much i, I agree with you on that has influenced uh the decisions and patterns and architecturing i've done across different languages or stacks uh, so touching on error handling love it uh it's so much i i very much am of the belief of you know even in real life of you should own your problems, and that's what Go does with its error handling. It says this is not my issue. I'm sk- I'm setting it up, uh, and it keeps going up the chain till the person who's supposed to or person, the language part or the code block that's supposed to deal with it, deals with it. And Go doesn't let you get away with not dealing with an error if it's being thrown or if it's that's part of the language, and I just think it's such a extremely smart way to do it where it's like hey i'm gonna give you two things one of them is an error one of them is a result you'll only have one or the other if you get the result back there was no issues if you get an issue you don't have you shouldn't worry about the result um and yeah that has helped so much I've also stolen that a little bit sometimes in my Python languages, because in Python, you can return multiple tuples mm-hmm. and multiple arguments. And yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's, I guess, my opinion. I love it so much. I have tried to steal it to different languages, which doesn't natively support it.
1: Yeah, a, a year, well, probably over two years ago now, I wrote a little gist that had combined promises in JavaScript with that pattern and actually included it in the async JavaScript talk that you would have seen. And essentially I just borrowed that returning of an error and a value and then checking the error. And so what I love about that pattern is it says, here are the two things you can expect from me, and you can decide what you do with them. but The fact is these are the only two things you're gonna get and you can count on if there's one, if there's an error, then I'm not gonna give you the value. And so that works really well with mapping it to promises which can either resolve or reject and they can only do it once. So I've seen a lot of people try to work around the gross syntax because as soon as you use await in JavaScript uh, with promises, then you have to wrap it in a try catch if you're actually going to potentially raise an error there. And so the ways you can get around that include catching at the call site and then await so you can safely catch it without creating this big block. Or you do something like the way Go does it, where you, out at the final stage of that, um, or as a wrapper in general, you just pass the value through the pipeline as a pair and then destructure it at the end. And so if anything's blown up, you know you'll have gotten that error, you can address it, at the same, without creating a new indentation and in code block. Easier to read, it looks like the way that Go does it. And I found that to be a way, at least when I'm writing code, because not a lot of people seem to prefer that. But when I'm writing my own stuff, if I want to do that, then I can. And I find it very easy to, to read and understand. Uh, and then the other thing would be having uh, GoFMT baked in. It's like, you know what? This justifies all of my opinions about having a formatter. I am down with formatters, I think everybody should use them, and uh, that just sort of solidified it as if there's a language that's this big, and there's this many smart people working on it, and they have it baked in, I think we should probably be using one.
0: Yeah. Uh, On Go format, actually up until I saw Go format, I always thought and believed that linting should be part of the CI process and not the developer's responsibility. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to format things. I just want to put everything in a little file. If I had my way with the languages that use semicolon, I would have like a whole function in a single line, get it over with. Uh, I know it all sounds terrible, but that's how I liked to do things. Um, And then when I started using Go and Go format, I was like, and I noticed the, the amount of difference it makes before the code reaches the central repository on how everything's standardized. Uh, I started believing in, okay, linter should be pre-commit hooks. If everybody does this, there's no git merge issues, there's not a lot of ugliness, and it will just tell you beforehand, before it even reaches code review, where some human has to waste their time telling you not to do something, you know it. It's Yeah, so that was a huge practice change for me as well Uh, that came from that beautiful language.
1: Perfect, yeah, so that's really, as I mentioned, barely have worked with it, so that's the extent, really, of what I have uh, from Go. But for some reason, it's been valuable to me. And I always have it in my list of things to do with programming. I'm like, ah, write something in Go, and I never do it. And then, oh, the other thing I had, I made a note while you were talking so I wouldn't forget, because I knew I would, and I almost did. Optional chaining in JavaScript, which I hate. and well, Currently, I hate. I, can't, I won't necessarily hate it forever, but right now I hate it, and one of the reasons is it just makes sense to me that if you're going to try to access something, you may as well validate the thing you're trying to access it on, and so you, if you're given something you believe to be a dictionary or an object, and you want to use like .name, you may as well at least validate that object if you don't have something in place that already validates that for you. And so the fact that you have to either choose not to validate it, in which point you're using optional chaining operator, which means it's potentially undefined as a return value, which means you've now pushed the undefined value or unknownness further down the chain and if, you're, if you'd say, yeah, but it'd be gross, like my code would be a lot worse if I had to validate this data, I'd say you're not validating it high enough or soon enough then. Because if you're down in, if you're thinking about React again, because that's where I write a lot of my JavaScript in, if you are passing this value through all these components and you're at the child, where you actually want to call the properties to render them out, and you haven't validated ahead of time, so you're using optional chaining, I think you've made a mistake way up top when you got that response from the API. Set it to a default value of an empty object or something so that the rest of the code can assume it's safe to access it. And I just haven't found a place yet for the optional chaining operator, and in particular, the optional method call, which I think is just an abomination. But another topic for another day. (laughs) And all right, I've got, yeah, we've talked about TypeScript, so I don't need to mention that. Only other thing would be, this actually affected my thinking a lot too, which was writing a little bit of uh, code in a number of different Lisps. So this is something that I know you are, aren't a big fan of, but I think that there's a lot to learn from the power that a Lisp-like language has in having such little syntax and still doing so much, which is part of what makes me frustrated with the decisions made in JavaScript over the last few years, where there's a continual addition of new syntax year after year after year. And keywords is one thing, but stuff that looks different that we didn't have before I don't think is a benefit to the language in general, especially if you can already do that thing, uh, because it provides one further layer of abstraction over something you could already do, like the uh, nullish coalescing operator. It's essentially just a pre-configured ternary. You may as well just written the ternary. Someone looking at the code, they have one less thing to think about if they see, oh, I'm checking if it's undefined or null. They now know that, otherwise they have to know that that's a nullish coalescing operator, which, because it's shorter, means that you'll probably stick some other logic into that line, which makes it, yes, more condensed, and you might feel real clever, but I think, in general, it's more useful to be explicit, so when you're looking at the code, you can see what it does, and adding, you know, operators aren't uh, syntax, but I think Lisp gets away with a lot Uh, or gets away with doing a lot with very little and I think languages in general would be better off trying to follow that as opposed to adding new things and expanding constantly. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I don't necessarily either disagree or strongly agree. I think that's partially because of my lack of uh, experience with functional and other languages like that. I did, I know I did Erlang in college uh, just to get a little bit more uh, into functional programming and such, but I just had such a strong base of object oriented, I just could not move. Um, And yeah, and I have tried to go back to them occasionally again and again, uh, just for like even, they're super handy when you're doing like little, even file manipulations or little CLI stuff, right? They're so extremely beneficial but i just it's one of those things where if you're not already confident or you have a bad memory of something (laughs) it just perpetuates that forever until you break the cycle at some point yeah i see Uh, so
1: it's the opposite of your c++ experience
0: exactly yeah Mm. uh it was very much just i think that's just my like computing that helps c++ i'm sure at this point now that i work at a gaming company if i sit with somebody and i'm like yeah, I know C++, they'll like prove me wrong in less than five <laughs> seconds and I wouldn't. Yeah, that's that's how I probably lose my job. Uh, it's not on my resume for anybody wondering. I do not claim to know C++ uh, at, at a professional level, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to look over my notes to see if there's things uh, I wanted to like very much bring upon. Um, like, so we've talked about things that we've liked about these languages. Uh, asynchronous programming is, a, is an interesting point uh, for JavaScript, because I, I know that causes, that is a source of pain for a lot of people who do use JavaScript. Yeah. Uh, so just get ready for your inbox uh, for people to learn.
1: I, I would, my argument is it's performant by default. And <laughs> if you were to think about the model, as opposed to making assumptions about how you think it should work, Mm. then you can wrap your head around it, I think, pretty easily, because you just have to remember only one thing's happening at a time. As soon as something's async, my thing that I was doing is no longer happening, something else is happening. Uh, Mm. And then you just have ways of dealing with how to re-enter when that value resolves. And you can use promises or you can use callbacks, there's different ways of doing it, but it's not that complex of a concept you can just make problems that are difficult to understand if you don't have the right simple model in place. So that's where I see most of the bugs coming from. People just looking at code and being like, but I wrote this line and then this line, it already executed, but like it shouldn't have. I'm like, No, of course it would have because you make an async call. That's a- gonna run next. So I think it's mostly due to people not having familiarity with how it works as opposed to it actually yeah. being difficult and then people just don't want to learn it because it's JavaScript, which I get. But if your job is to know JavaScript, you should learn it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember I also, one of my sticking points when I was trying to learn JavaScript was the fact that every time I Google search how to do something, it was, you can do this in JavaScript by using either importing jQuery, importing these libraries. This is how you did vanilla JavaScript. But wait, by the way, this is up until ECMAScript 3. Now it's something different. So even with vanilla JavaScript, you're kind of screwed. Um, and I, I get that that's a, that's a problem um, that you sort of just have to look at the docs and the more you play with the language, uh, the more you'll understand uh, that base. I guess that's a, that's a good segue uh, or way to like wrap up some of the end discussions instead of me just ranting more about what I miss about C++ to Java migration. Um, yeah, I, um, yeah, I'll, I'll actually, you know what, no, I had a point that I want to bring up is in Java, it's so much just based on classes that one of the things I was sad about is you can't create classes with primitive data types or instantiate other classes with primitive data types. So if I want to create something that only accepts a type int, it's not int, it's integer, and I have to use that class, and that has a higher memory footprint, and I hated it. Uh, it's all class, no grass. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that's I, what, I that's what they all say, yeah. It's all class, no grass. Uh, I'm, I'm trademarking that for my blog. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's a next good segue, if you uh, also think so, on... People starting their careers right, um, and getting into languages, we've sort of mentioned Python is a good backend and basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript, or React uh, for starting. Uh, I guess the next question would be, what are good resources, where do they get information about it besides the best YouTube channel, NathanKalwang.dev, uh, yeah, not, or Dev. I was going to say,
1: that's not even the right domain. Uh, yeah, so I think it would, I'd be negligent if I didn't point to Kyle Simpson, he's kind of just the, the guy to go to for learning JavaScript. He has a bunch of webinars on end masters. If you're okay with the subscription, get it for a month even, and you can especially if you're a student or something, just binge watch them and you can. There's you don't pay per lesson, you pay for access to the library. So that's a great way if you have however many, 30, 40, whatever it is per month, you get the membership and then just binge watch those videos. You can get through a lot of content in a short period of time. And that's a great way to learn things. He also has for free on GitHub. His git is uh, Getify. Yes, Getify, G-E-T-I-F-Y. And he has You Don't Know JS books. You can read them for free online uh, at his GitHub. And I think that'd be the main thing. If you want counter arguments to his stuff, you can always just look up Doug Crockford and they disagree about a bunch of stuff. So if you want some balance for Kyle Simpson, you can get balanced there. Other than that, I would say just start, if you're going to go the JavaScript route, then just start using the language and do sort of a scientific method on it. Come up with a prediction for what your code's going to do and then run it and see if you're right. And oftentimes, if you start getting into the quirky parts of the language, you'll be wrong. And then you have to figure out why it works that way, because it will work that way every time and being able to explain those things will really help you down the line if you have to be the JavaScript guru at your work and help people debug stuff.
0: Very cool. And that's for like anything JavaScript, like React view kind of thing, or those their own places and these link URLs are just for master JavaScript.
1: That's specific to JavaScript, if you're going to choose to learn a front-end framework, I think at, you should look at job listings in your area or wherever you want to work, make sure they're actually using the frameworks that I'm going to recommend. But you know, if you're living in an area that's not using any of them, it's using a lot of backbone or something, uh, then maybe you do need to learn some of that. But focus primarily at that point on JavaScript as a language. But if you look around, you see most people are posting for React, for example. Just go to the docs, React docs are really good. Uh, You can start with Create React App because early on in your career, you won't be writing the webpack configs anyway, and you don't need to know how most of it works. You really just need to know how to write modern React, and the docs are really good for that. So I would say go there if you want a bit of peek behind the curtain on those things if you're curious like I am. Uh, Dan Abramov has a blog called Overreacted and he has a complete guide to use effect which will teach you a ton about how React hooks work. So, going forward, that's pretty much how things will be written and I would highly recommend you understand them. Very cool, Um, yeah,
0: very cool. I would um, also recommend that so, so I, I guess the thing I was a little worried about, or maybe I would ask you is... Um, wow, I'm, I'm blanking out. I, I'm blanking out on the word, Le- learn. Uh, anyways, the message I'm trying to convey across or trying to ask is, is full stack development... Like, because everybody needs a full stack developer nowadays. So um, it seems. So it seems, <laughs> uh, quote unquote. <laughs> Um and what's so if, if that's my motivation, right? Let's say I am freshly out of school or I'm trying to change my career, um, is it worth spending or investing that much amount of time learning the intricacies of the language? Um, if but when I enter and or when I show up at a job's door step and they're like, Okay, cool, so you know a little bit of React but we really want somebody who can do a whole mini app uh, then like is that even a realistic expectation to have um i am
1: firmly in the camp that there is no such thing as a junior full stack developer and if anybody's trying to hire for that they are wrong Uh, that that just means you are equally bad at everything because you haven't learned anything yet because you're a junior you're trying to get an entry-level job which means you know enough that you can write some code and you'll probably be slow to get up to speed and people have to help you a lot. And if you're that way for the entire stack and you want to contribute, it's going to take you twice as long to do every part and you're far better off focusing on one or the other. So I think how you start really depends on what your goal is. So it really depends on how old you are, what your living situation is, what your interests are in software development, what your timeline is for wanting to get into the field and what your first job is. So it's going to be very different if you're somebody who's trying to get your first job because you need to pay the bills and you're transferring out of a career, but you have all the time in the world to prepare for that interview. And then you want to get the job that will replace your income. That's going to be a very different thing than your second year university student, and you're trying to line up a good skill set to get your first job out of school. You have a lot more time at that point to spend strictly digging into the esoteric stuff that perhaps your, your peers and coworkers didn't spend their time doing, and they'll be able to teach you the sort of practical parts of software development that you didn't get to learn because you weren't working on real production code bases and there's a good exchange of information there. So I can't give global, all uh, uh, applicable to everybody advice because it totally what? depends on what your goal is. But I would say it goes back to what I said at the beginning, figure out what you find interesting, figure out what you think you can see yourself doing. Don't get into this for the wrong reasons. That's actually what I wrote about on Sunday was people getting into software development to get rich. and. Uh. Yeah. It was mostly just a rant, but it was therapeutic. And uh, yeah, only go with JavaScript if you want to do something in the front end. If you're trying to avoid it, then don't learn it because then people can't give you that job. And yeah. just spend your time working on other stuff. Get more familiar with databases and uh, API development and the op side if you want to sort of really weight yourself to being useful. And I think you'd be in a good spot really cool yeah up to you
0: true yeah and yeah like following the advice on just building smaller apps um one of the things i do every time Mm -hmm. i'm learning a new language which is like my just default is i build a calculator uh every single time every single app that i've ever built as my first next to hello world is building a calculator because it involves generally a gui element it generally involves some sort of uh, storage because you want to keep context if you want to make history and such. Um, and I've made like a very complicated calculator that stores all of your information in a database. So you can run analytics on like how much calculations you do on which operator kind of thing, which is such an overkill, but it gave me a really good understanding on how Go interacts with databases, what I can store um, what I can fetch. It was a really fast calculator. Uh, <laughs> completely overkill, <laughs> not at all needed. Um, and But that's a, that's my general go-to approach. And if you, again, if you're a very, very beginner, very much focus on the concepts, on the language's intricacies, um, because then you can take that over to server-side as well. Once you understand how, once you understand and go through 20 different languages, it's all just you need data inputting from someplace. you process it with your for loops and conditionals, and you output it out to a screen or a database. Mm-hmm. And that's it, that's all of programming is, this is what we're all doing to make money somehow. Uh, and people buy into it, because apparently it provides value. Uh, <laughs> so whoever you are, if you're looking, uh, feel free to reach out to either one of us uh, for any starting tips if you want. In the video, I believe we have our uh, social tags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine um,
1: should be over there and Galen's will be above me.
0: Okay, so mine is, is this my right? This is my right. I can't tell if I'm mirrored on your screen versus mine.
1: Uh, you're pointing the wrong way right now.
0: Okay, then it's this way. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's either one of these ways. I guaranteed think to be correct, guaranteed to be wrong. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. You do the vertical spread. You're like, I'm putting my eggs in both baskets. Whichever one breaks, I at least win 50% of the time. (laughs) Uh, Terrible financial advice. Never take it. I don't understand how stocks work. Uh, (laughs) But yeah. um, Do you have any final thoughts, comments before we wrap this up?
1: I would just say that you touched on something useful there, which is it doesn't matter what you build. So don't worry about it too much. I know that I was definitely worried about making something that people were going to find interesting or uh, impressive in some way. And you're not. You're not impressive if you're new. And that's okay. That's the way everybody is. And even if you're really good for your level of experience, you're not impressive because you have no experience. So spend the time doing stuff you like. Spark your curiosity as much as you can because that'll keep your motivation up and it'll Encourage you to continue learning which is only The only thing that's going to make you more useful and yeah. if oh, and that's the other thing too if people if you've kept yourself curious and motivated Convey that in interviews and people love it. So that's what they'll be looking for if you're new They're not going to care. Um, I can't speak to large companies, but especially startups if they're trying to bring somebody on entry-level They want you to be affordable and really enthusiastic so those are the things to focus on if you're looking to just get your foot in the door as a software developer.
0: Yeah, and until you hit four to five years of experience, do not choose full step, like front end, back end, database, automation, anything. There's so much to learn in all these spaces and they change so quickly. Uh, you will regret uh, picking a specialty unless you just know you're calling somehow. Uh, do not restrict other aspects of software development just because you think you're good at one of them.
1: Heck yeah. I'm realizing I'm not actually looking at my recording software. I might've been pointing the wrong way. So I'm going to do the same thing for, my, <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> for mine. one of these. We may switch the videos. It'll see somewhere on the screen. It'll definitely be in the show notes. Uh, so just, you know, use that, uh, if you can't copy paste from a screenshot of our image somehow, mm-hmm. uh, is that, is that even a thing? Can people do that? Well, I think
1: the Google phones can do that now. Copy text. That's true. That's true. So
0: All you iPhone users just wait a couple of years and then Apple will bring it up. It'll be innovative. <laughs> It'll be innovative. It'll be the newest biggest thing. Yeah. Uh, and then we are going to get a lot of hate now.
1: But cool. Yeah. No <laughs> that was the subtext <laughs> of this episode is just make the internet real mad
0: yeah yeah we just wanted to give everybody good value on programming languages and then the shit on iPhones, so that we can get attacked for it
1: oh yeah i, j- <laughs> I had to d- work real hard not to make this a six-hour conversation because i just kept having opinions but <laughs> that's that that's the episode thanks for listening everybody again do you want to say anything before they go
0: no just thank you thank you for your time and please keep listening because you like to talk that's true